Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Jay, this has been way too long. Way too long. We've been asked why haven't we posted a podcast lately. We have been the holidays, the new year, and uh, been busy, job change. What? What? Change job. job. Yeah, I've been with a marketing company for the last six years and uh, just uh, decided to switch it up and now I'm working for a company called PSI Network. Let's do We have no sponsors for this, so we self-fund this, self-time it. So uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Because yeah. your new gig is pretty cool. You've been making people spend money with advertising before. And yes. Now you're about saving businesses money. Yeah, so I'm doing it. It's a little bit of an opposite. So before it was let me help you make money. Now it's let me help you save money. All right, so excuse the commercial here, but Jay, give us a pitch on what you do. And if and if this sounds like it helps you, uh, give your email address at the end yeah. and then we'll move on. Yeah, any, any, any business size, I mean, that, that, that has phones and internet and cloud space, data security needs. Um, basically, PSI is a full-service consulting firm dedicated to cost reduction and helping companies evaluate their technology, their use, their using of devices, and their business. So basically, we accept, we access your bills, we review them, we see how you're using technology, your internet and phone, see if we can uh, provide some cost savings there. And then also, we have some fail-safes. We have some pretty cool products that allows companies to, if there was a phone or internet down at their business and they still need to operate and you know, have transactions take place throughout the day. We actually have a fail safe, um, which allows that business then when that happens, um, uh, to access 4g. So, so, so one of my businesses, uh, would not apply for that because we don't have any, we have one phone line and, we, and where we are, we have one, uh, internet service provider where we are. Yeah. Uh, but if you own, if you have multiple phone lines, like a phone system, yeah. And if you have T uh, T1 lines or heavy internet usage or data security, that's when they want to reach out to you. Yeah, cloud space. It could be anything. In any any business with, I mean, just think about uh, the size of like, well, let's just say it could be anything. I mean, but like 20, 20 unique seats at a computer, phone, and bigger. Um, there's usually we can provide some. It's a master agency, so we work with all the major carriers, and we can help them provide okay. savings. So how do they get a hold of you? You can contact me at the letter J, my last name, Maryfield, M-E-R-R-I-F-I-E-L-D, at P-S-I, is it a hyphen? Dash. Is it dash? Dash. Net. Net. N-E-T dot com. Or you could send us a direct message on any of our ways with our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook, and we can, I'll get it to you. Sweet. Okay, so that's how you can help us out. Um, so let's hit some news. We have the interview that's going to be on Asiatic has been in the can for quite a long time. Quite excited. Uh, I don't know why we've held out so long, except we've just been too busy. Um, so first off the bat, have you seen the new Inside Magazine? No, I have not. Posted it up on our Instagrams. What do you know? I'm not on Instagram. I know. but Tell me in, all about is it. Is it Inside or Insin? Ooh, it's Inside, right? But I, if you're from Utah, it's in. I don't know. It depends on what part of Utah. That's my like hurricane, hurricane. Yeah, so I don't know. You know what we're talking about. Yeah. Cover front page of the insign or insin is understanding addiction it's and its impact on loved ones. Apparently, the, uh, the the dotted line must be the husband's the addict. 
And so I don't know. I don't know the like a death chalk line that looks like a chalk. It line. does look like a death chalk line. <laughs> Hopefully that's not but happened. two <laughs> separate articles in 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 the new ensign. Okay. So if you Talking don't about addition, so yeah, if you don't have a subscription, the magazine come to your house. You have the LDS uh, app on your phone. You can get the ensign on your phone. Yes. <laughs> Jay, Mr. Uh, millennial, uh, what do you call your generation? Millennial. millennial, and you call me the old man, but it seems like I'm showing you text sometimes. Mm-hmm. February 2019, uh, access to it. Why would so, you pay for the magazine to come if you can get it for free? Um, just if you like the magazine. It's a church. We give you our old new eras That's right. for your kids. That's why I don't buy them. Because we give them to you. Because I get them for free. All right. All right so go see. there and check it out. Um Let's do a, a heavy one, then a fun one. LDS Living had an article that states, and this is from an, a Latter-day Saint therapist. So you know if you're a Latter-day Saint and you're a therapist, yeah. uh, I don't know. Sometimes people say, hey, Latter-day Saint, Mormon Bishop said this. I give it some credit. But, Probably go with the professional's advice. But there's professionals, and I tend to give this cred that right. this is LDS Living. I think it's got some filters on it to make yeah. sure it's good. So this therapist said, if your spouse cheats and repents, are you obligated to forgive? Let's see what Jesus said. Well, in my experience, Jesus this said. is what she said. Right. Yeah. Um, this is by Jonathan Decker, licensed marriage family therapist. Said, in my experience, working with marriages rocked by a partner's adultery, I see patterns, emotions, expectations, questions, and struggles that show up Time after time. The most frequent pattern among Latter-day Saint couples is the circumstances involved a cheating spouse who confesses to priesthood authority, undergoes disciplinary counsel, quote, faces the music, so to speak, and goes through or is going through the steps that have their blessings restored to them. In case after case, they feel they've done the work to be forgiven and can't understand why their partner can't, quote, just let it go. The Lord has forgiven me. They reason, so why can't my spouse? For a portrayed partner, the wrestle may be with themselves, seeing the logic of their spouse's argument and not knowing why they struggle to forgive. Or it may be with their partner who has not taken the time to address, empathize with, and make amends for the suffering they've caused. Forgiveness from the church is one thing, they reason, but forgiveness by me is something else. Many couples hung up. Uh, get hung up at this point. Does the betrayed partner have a gospel duty to forgive the repented spouse? If so, how? If not, why? Do the steps necessary for repentance in the church line up with what is needed to repent in your marriage? And then there he addresses those. Um, So does the betrayed partner have a gospel duty to forgive the repented spouse? According to this therapist, the short answer is yes, but that may not mean what you think it means. In Revelation to the church, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke very clearly when he said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and he that committeth adultery and repenteth not shall be cast out. But he that committeth adultery and repenteth repenteth, with all of his heart and forsaketh it and does it no more, thou shalt forgive. But But if he doth it again, he shall not be forgiven, but shall be cast out. So this goes on and on. Not a simple answer. We've interviewed quite a few people that have... On Ask the Attic, the spouse and the uh, person who has committed adultery and cheated. Yeah. yeah. And I think of all of them, uh, the spouse that we've interviewed, they've stayed with their spouse, correct? Yeah. 
Take forgiven. I mean, they've forgiven. Do you have any opinions or thoughts on this? I have a lot of opinions on it, but a lot of opinions. Thought, but yeah, these are just my opinions. So if you're listening to this, you're going, that is not my opinion. Just know that that's my opinion. So it may not coincide with yours or the right answer, but because I don't know everything. But or or your opinion could be on uh, experiences that uh, yeah, that I've shared seen. with you that you've seen. Yeah, I've not, seen in my life. Yeah, I, I think forgiveness is obviously a commandment. It's it clearly states in the. I mean, we, we only have one, realistically, we have one true account, as far as it's been translated correctly, which I think it has been, um, where there was an adulterer in the New Testament, and everyone picked up the stone and was ready to throw it, and Christ stopped them and said, you know, he said what he said. So I think that it is up to us to forgive those that have truly repented. And then so you say, well, how do we ever repent? Well, it clearly states the Dr. Cummins. You'll know a man repenteth by him turning away from that sin. So if he continues to do it, or she continues to do it, well, that, that's probably not repent. That's Saying sorry is not repenting, right? We know that. Like, uh, so doing the 12 steps, absence, time, length, repentance, fulfilling callings, the whole 12-step process, that would be, in my opinion, your opinion probably, is repentance. The, the 12 steps kind of walk you through repentance. And, I, and right? why... Uh, it's not a simple saying. Just, just because stopped, someone swear, committed right? adultery doesn't mean they're an addict or a sex totally. addict. It just means they could have had one bad scenario. It'd be very unlikely because most of the people we see, like... It's usually a, a pattern that's we were led talking up about to it. Today, yeah, there's always... there's very hard for Satan to get us to make one big mistake. It's, there's a lot of small mistakes. Usually pornography is involved... Or arguments, or some other type of, or romanticism in the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, yeah just disconnect an from emotional, the spirit. an emotional affair. I've heard. Usually, first. yeah, but usually a bunch of little commandments have been broken prior Up to that point. So, uh, so what, it is not a clear cut answer, but I do tough. think if if your spouse has done that repentance process, say what is that? Okay, the twelve steps, and works with the sponsor and their bishop, and they put together time. Uh, then that's repentant. It, it, haven't we found also that the, the the spouse benefits greatly from going through the steps themselves? Totally. Even if they're the ones that haven't committed adultery, yeah. but they're able to uh, have the atonement help heal them and allow them to receive personal revelation to know what to do. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think uh, marriages are meant for eternity. Right. So having this, so maybe, and and it may take this. When I say forgiveness, I'm not talking about like in one clear sitting. I mean this could take years, right? It could yeah. take months. It could take all sorts of stuff. But I think you should start that path. Exhaust all paths before abandoning. Okay. What's your opinion? What say you guys? Yeah. Go right ahead us. and go ahead and post that up. This is not obviously that is not an easy topic. Yeah. And, no. 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 So if, if I finish, so it wasn't meant oversimplifying. Yeah. It's because we can literally have a whole podcast on that but, one question. But we've had, if you're new to the podcast, you can listen to some of the stories of those that have gone through this and what they've done. It is a bummer, though, when I do see people who have repented and believe they have, and, and then the spouse shames them continually. And that's a shame, and that's what you're saying with the spouse. We have steps for those. Mm-hmm. al non works. Okay. Boom. All right. Last one, maybe a little lighter. Uh, in uh, Wise Mind, Health Body, the headline of the news article says... Drinking one Diet Coke daily can triple the risk of dementia and stroke. Whoa, one, because I was just listening to something the other day where they were trying to say one is not bad, but if you were to drink excess, it would be bad. This is saying the other way around. Uh, and, and why this catches our eye, because it says, I have a confession to make. I'm a former Diet Coke addict. We I love was. We love to use the word addict I love uh, in, in a lot of things. Um, so You know it's almost been two, no, three years. You love Diet Coke? 
I know I hated Diet Coke, but I got onto it when I started to get fatter. Uh-huh. So I, I have not drank a soda in general, not one sip of one soda in three years in March. Hmm. Boom. That's awesome. That's three years. That was like, I felt like it was like yesterday. Yeah. So yeah, this but, actually came, It's I think it's come aspartame. Yeah. The Diet Coke used to, um, Coke Zero and Diet Coke used to make me feel tingly. <laughs> like I'd start, if I had too many during the day, yeah. a little blurry. Um, well, this is a, an article we posted up on our Facebook in the brain, um, aspartame it's that uh, it's probably it's, not good for you. Um, so go ahead. So a lot of people like the point could, of this. Could you go through the 12 steps to get off Diet Coke? Totally. And we actually know some friends and family and uh, people um, that have been – even Xander who's been on here. Excess. Excess. I, I even have a friend's wife offered him $1,000 offered her $1,000 to stop drinking Diet Coke. Didn't do it. So listen, Diet Coke. It's a legit addiction, but you can still get a temp recommend yeah. and probably yeah. still be yep. – you know, it's, there's worse addictions. There's worse. But uh-huh. once again, are we spirit beings or are we physical beings? Like what, what do you want in charge, your body or your spirit? All right. That's the news for now. We're going to get into uh, our uh, – we're going to do your share, which uh, I believe is step 10. Um, and then we have Ask the Addict. And I actually don't remember the, the pseudo name that was used, um, but this – brave woman uh is a self-identified sex addict mm-hmm. and she shares her experience of of with pornography and with sex and how she uh, uh identified with it and overcame it and is living in recovery so very powerful very long interview so hopefully you enjoy that so buckle your seatbelts i'm an act i'll share um i was thinking about that yeah definitely I can attest to that last one. It for sure will. I mean, even like I, like I'm going through a tough time right now. Um, but just over over my stuff in my own head, me trying to control um, the future and try to regain the past. You can't do that, you know. Like you just you can't never live. You can't go back there. And so, but I was thinking when you said that, like my life, even in the hard days now, sober. Sure is a hell of a lot easier than when I was detoxing from drugs on my mom's couch and Lexi wouldn't talk to me, you know, like, and um, I had no money and I had no place to stay and I thought I was gonna lose my family. And yet, like, I have days where I'm like, oh, this is the worst. Like, I'm in a bad situation right now. I'm bad. You know, this sucks. Like, you know, where are you guys? Like, what's going on here? But then I remember, like, how really lonely I was. Like when you shared that, that just kind of put me back and uh, you definitely will be in a better place. It doesn't mean that the people that don't have to live this way intensely to have the spirit are any less. It's just, this is just our path, you know, and, and, you know, what we just have to, I've been trying really hard to, to stay in the present. And that's, it's like when you realize like how much your mind shifts from the past, the past to the future, like, you know, and and then so when you recognize how often you do that, it's almost overwhelming because it's like, oh, my gosh, like I'm on autopilot. You know, I'm just reacting all day or I'm thinking about the past. I'm reacting all day about the because I'm tripped about the future or thinking about that. It's like, how do I stay? And, you know, Brad's usually the analogy with surfing. But, you know, like when you surf, you try to stay in the pocket. Like in all that I've learned about, like no matter what type of surfer I'm watching, like if I watch a movie on longboarding, shortboarding, or all these other things, like all real good surfers stay in the pocket of the way where all the energy is. Every move they do is driven off of this pocket and they get right back in there where all the energy of the wave is pushing. So they don't have to do the work. And like, and I think of how often, or it's just like in the analogy of swimming upstream, like I'm trying to kick against the prick, swim upstream, you know, force myself on the wave, whatever it is. And I do that in my life today. And I'm sober, you know? So, like, I say this all the time because, like someone said earlier, 
just because you overcome your drugs or your alcohol or your pornography or sex or gambling, whatever it is, overeating, like, you're still going to be there. And, um, and it doesn't mean that you don't overcome that because you're overwhelmed about being there after you're done. It's what I'm trying to say is like dealing with what I'm dealing with now, when I sit here and remember, really remember the past, I'm like, dude, I don't, I wouldn't go back there and my worst day in sobriety is 10 times better than my, you know, best day when I was using. I mean, I was, you talk about a whirlwind. I was a destroyer. Like, you know I mean? I was a black hole. Like I just sucked. I mean, I destroyed everything good in my life and I should have destroyed more. Like the fact that I even still have some people from my past, including my wife is, is a miracle. It was a miracle I got sober and it was a miracle that, that I have friends in my life today. I mean, I was, I became such a different person and, um, you know, it's hard to see your heart changing in the moment. Um, because of all the stuff I was talking about earlier, you know, you just got so much in your life. But when I sit here and think about who I was, I was really, you know, I had become a really different person and over a lot of years of my life. And, and the Lord definitely has changed me. And I still have moments where, um, where I have a lot of pride and ego and just same thing with your ego. As soon as you really recognize how, how much your ego really is still there, it's almost overwhelming because you're like, well, how do I fight this thing? Because it's not just ego with like we normally think about like Pravada and, and, you know, egotism like, oh, I'm the best. It's also in when people f- offend you. Like I'm reading this book called The Power of the Now again for like the eighth time and because I, I can't get the concept, obviously. Um, and uh, it's talking about like your ego is there when like someone hurt me the other day with what they were saying. It was someone I work with and he said something yesterday and I reacted like, how dare you say that to me? You know, and. That's ego, though, too, you know? It's, it's you know, I, I've been the ego where I'm the best, and I've also now, I'm like, how dare you hurt me? Like, as if that person was saying it to hurt me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're not. No matter what. Because I know, because I used to say a lot of things, that, like, that were very mean to my wife, to everyone else around me, and I never once did any of it to hurt anyone. I was doing it because I, I was hurting myself, so nothing good could come out of me. You know? I was just, a, like I said, a black hole. And, um... So anyways, I'm just recognizing how much ego I still have in my life, even on sometimes, I mean, I have the ego on the other side, but I definitely have the ego still when I take things personally. And it's trying to stay in the present is just such a challenge. And, um, but I'd rather, I was thinking, you know, I'd rather have this challenge now, 10, 11, and 12, than the challenges what I had when I still hadn't done step four. And I still, you know, asked Mike, he's my sponsor, it took me a long time. And I'm lucky I didn't die in that process of not doing it. I'm definitely I didn't relapse. I'm, you know, I still had a lot of other things I was doing, but I'm lucky I didn't go back to drugs. I should have, statistically. And so, you know, it's a miracle. If you're in this room and your wife or your spouse is sitting next to you or they're not and you're just alive, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Because if you're a drug addict like me, we should be dead. Like, I should be dead. And I was telling someone today, one of my clients, about how intense my addiction was at one point. And I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't be, li- you know, I shouldn't. A lot of people that have died with better, they were a better person than you know, the, some of the things I've done. And um, I have this quote that I, I think about all the time because it's what I'm talking about. And it's in this, it's in this movie that I love and it's from a surfer. But it says, uh, time doesn't wait for anybody. None of us have any time to waste. They say time is money, but the things you can buy with money are cheap. Time you can pay for, but you can't buy any. In spite of all of our conveniences and technologies, every, everybody tells you they don't have time for this or time for that. Well, of course they don't, because they lose their perspective of the present. The present is just a fleeting moment. It comes 
and then it's gone, maybe without even being noticed. We think about the past and the nostalgia makes us feel bad, or we worry about the future and are too anxious to be in the present. The past and the future, this is my favorite part, the past and the future are just concepts that exist in the present. When you think about like uh, the past and the future, it's not even, it's not even really real. Like, cause once it's there, it's gone. Like you can't, it's never there again. It's not even real. It's just in our mind. And I think when we get to do the veil, we're, it's going to click and we're going to, oh my gosh, why did I waste so much time stressing? I know that'll be for sure. If I don't overcome this, that'll be one of my biggest things. Like I'll walk through the next life and I'll go, oh, why did I, I could help so much more people, you know, cause I wasn't tripping, you know? And it says, there is nowhere to go. Nothing happens next. And at first when I read that, I was like, oh, that's kind of depressing. But then he says, you're already there. Like, there's nothing that happens next. You're already in the moment. You're already in the present. And I know my life is a lot easier when I don't kick against the pricks and I stay in the pocket of that wave and I just let the wave push me rather than me forcing my will on it. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to feel something again. Won't you help me sober up all the big kids they got drunk. Okay, well, we're live. Jay, Jane. What's up, Jane? Hi. How you doing? We are uh, doing this uh, remotely today. Hopefully the audio comes out well. Um, We've been engaging with Jane over email uh, a while, a listener to the podcast. That's right. And reached out to us and shared a little bit about your story and said you'd be willing. I don't know if you said you'd be willing or I asked if you'd be willing. Which one? I said I'd be willing. Okay. Um, so describe your, uh, describe your, uh, obsession or addiction. What, what is it? So my addiction is a little unusual for female, at least, uh, socially acceptable. Um, I'm a sex addict, also pornography use and all the things that go along with that. And is, um, uh, when you, when did you self-identify? Because a lot of people have to come to that realization and there's, I think we've, I don't know if it's debated or disgusted about like you can't call someone an addict. If, and I believe you have to identif- self-identify as that. Was there a where was, when did that get discovered that you realized or came to that realization? Yeah, so I actually talked to several bishops. They did not think I actually had a problem. Um, they just said stop it. Um, so I didn't really think of it as an addiction, but one of them suggested going to the ARP program, which I did. And started the first few weeks saying, I'm not an addict, I don't have a problem, but I'm here. Mm-hmm. Was this <laughs> in your youth? or What's that? Was this in your youth? I mean, the program, I guess, has been around longer than I knew it was. Was this? No, I only recovered for a couple of years. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but th- in, in the ARP program, after a couple of weeks, then I realized, yeah, this actually applies to me. And, and then I started to identify as an addict. You start listening to someone share and you're like, oh, wait a minute. No, I've done, I think that way or I've done that or I've obsessed over that. That's for, for me. I went, as you know, my story, I was like, I was not like these people. And then before right. you know it, I'm like, they're describing internal right. thoughts that I've never expressed. That's kind of a trip for like for anyone, right? To go, whoa, someone else thinks like me. My, and the, the part of us that don't we don't like about it, right? So that's where it's healing, right? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I didn't want to be an addict because that meant that I didn't have control. 100% society hates that, right? We don't like t- saying you don't have control over something. 
Yeah, and I think all addicts are control freaks, really. Oh, yeah. So, um, like, I'm curious uh, as far as the process for a female pornography addict. Is it start similarly with like the, the men, like the most of the men we've talked to started as a being exposed to pornography at a very young age, and for sure the most common. And uh, I describe it as like I can only speak as a man and myself, but like being physic visibly attracted to the opposite sex or or naked pictures or one sexually related or is intriguing and it does something to us, and I think that's inherent within us, and that. Uh, early exposure seems to be a common theme amongst the men we've spoken to. Would you say it's the same with you or being different? No, I think it's different for me. Okay. I actually started, I identify more as a sex addict than a porn addict, okay. but that's a component of it because I started with the sexual addiction. Okay. So I was obsessed with physical contact. I was obsessed with trying to do things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, you know. Um, and I started that as a teenager I didn't get into pornography until I was in my mid thirties okay. and the guy I was dating talked about being addicted to pornography and the issues he was going through. And I was like, well, I don't even know really what pornography is. Like, what is that? And I started looking to see what it was in order to kind of know what I was dealing with. And then wow, to, to, see that. To, to try to help him or just to like be, I mean, cause obviously pornography has been around, like you, we've had the internet age for a while. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't, cross your screen ever? It wasn't something I was interested in. Okay. Because you, generally when I was thinking of what is what is pornography, it's it's men. It's naked men. Which would, For you, it would have been naked men, right? You would think it would be naked men. So, you know, and I, that was not at all appealing to me. And okay. so I didn't have any interest to go look for it. But then when I was like, well, what is he looking at? What are, What is it that draws people to this? I was just curiosity, thinking of thinking I was trying to help, maybe. Okay. Um, then getting addicted to looking at what he was looking at. And I think that's the secret, is that most most people don't realize that women look at women. They don't look at naked men. That's not appealing. Even straight women look at women. Um, and they're imagining, well, if I, it was me, would I have that same reaction? Would I feel that? You know, it's, it's not necessarily what the woman looks like. It's what's happening to the woman the in the experience image. of the emotion, the experience of going on in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a different. Yeah. It's, and, and I've been told that it's women in pornography is also more books and written and, and auditory versus the visual. It that may be, but it was not for me. Not for you. Okay. Yeah, it was not for me. And I think, I think a lot of people, and even some experts I talked to, have said, "Well, women use romance novels like men use visual pornography." Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. The the meetings I've been to, that is not the case at all. They're looking at hardcore visual pornography. Okay, heterosexual, same sex. What kind of is anything it, that they can and, get their hands on? Like, is it? Uh, these sound silly questions, but I love. Is yeah. it like a, what a guy is? Is like some guys are into this, some guys are into this. Is the same thing with girls? Like some girls are into this, some girls into that? So I don't know exactly because we don't, when ARP, we don't talk about the yeah, graphic detail yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't give you an accurate reading, but I can say from the little bit that you can pick up from people, I would say a, a large majority of, of women are looking at women. So you're not speaking for the all the... Audience. I'm not speaking for all women. <laughs> By any means, but I will say that, that most women are looking at women. And not be, not because they're gay, not because they're, they have same-sex attraction or anything like that. It's, it's imagining the experience that the woman is experiencing. 
I think the biggest thing I take away from the whole thing so far is that it is a little different in the sense of where, you know, most boy, like most men have sex addiction in their later years, like in their 30s or 40s. It sort of manifests when they're married or relationships. It always, like I've sponsored, like, I can't even tell you how many men that have same, uh, not same sex, have attraction or have sex, I'm sorry, sex addiction. It usually starts with pornography. Like, it, like so that's one thing that is different with your story. Because you're starting the opposite, where most yeah. people, most of the guys, the men, it started in their youth with pornography. So that's yeah. interesting. It's different. I think, and I'm not sure that that's, that's a normal for me. No, people. yeah, it's just your story. Um, but for me, it was easier, you know, growing up, I'm a little older, growing up, it was actually easier to get contact to other humans than it was to get totally. access to pornography. Totally. Before the so have you attended? You first attend a general addiction ARP meeting. You're you're in Utah, so yeah. there's there's a lot more ARP meetings than outside of the, the state of Utah. There um, are a ton of ARP meetings. I went to a female sex addiction then for use. Okay. And approximately how many people were in that meeting? Oh, so it was a female. Only. Female only. I was. I wondered about that. Is SA? I don't think you could probably have the same. But then again. If you have same-sex attraction, you wouldn't want a guy in there with another guy who's got talking about it's sex. Fair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we did have some same-sex attraction females in our meeting. Um, our meeting was an overflow for the first meeting they started. Um, I don't know how many went to the first meeting, but our meeting was up to 16, 20 people, 20 women in there every week. And that was an overflow. It was an existing meeting that got too big. Yep. And this was over. Okay. I'm How curious. was too big? Yeah, it was too big. We're, yeah, we're, we're dealing with that right now. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I would imagine it was You can return a report in an email. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, I will. Um, I think it was around 30. Because um, they were saying that they were splitting in half and it was about equal. So when we were about 16, that would be about 30. 30, how did, 32. How did, logistically, how did they, like, you're going to this meeting versus this meeting or did you get to choose? You could choose either meeting. I actually went to a meeting away from where I live because we have so many options. Okay. Um, so that was really helpful. Um, and I just I just picked one randomly. Did you just get on arp.lds.org and look up a meeting and then showed up? What were yep. those emotions going to that for walking in that first meeting? Terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. Uh, I was worried that people would know who I was. I was worried that people would... Um, would judge me. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be, like Jay says, among those people. I think almost every addict says you, you that. You didn't think you were one of them, so you were going to appease a bishop, right? Does that sound, is that what you kind of said? Yeah, um, it was more like to check that off the, the list of things I tried that failed. Okay. Because although I kind of wanted to stop, I kind of wanted to stay in my addiction, and so it was more like... Further justification. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Did you go to a therapist at all? I did, and it did not go well. Okay. Um, I went to an LDS therapist, or someone I thought was LDS. Um, she said, you you need to leave the LDS church. <laughs> someone you thought was LDS. <laughs> <laughs> because she they're said, making you feel bad. You're, what you're doing is completely natural. And when you leave yes. the church, when you leave the church, let me guess. When you leave the church, those that empty, guilty feeling will go away. Uh-huh. Okay. The shame will go away. And she said, if you just keep indulging in these behaviors, mm. the shame will end. Mm. And, and words, I found out later that she will be similar. seared eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's scripture about that, right? Yeah. I found okay. out later that she was going through a similar process where she was leaving the church. Um, for what do, you know? what do you know? 
subtraction. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes sense that she would give me that advice. So lucky you didn't follow that. I mean, a lot of you could see at that point in your life when you're suff- like, I just think back at how critical advice was given to me, and like, at some degrees, especially when I got home from my mission and I came home early, I felt very insecure about that. And if I had been treated, you know, just a little bit, a lot of little things can, you know, then take away from agency, but it definitely plays to the to the card, right? So, yeah, good for you for yeah. not bouncing. So then you end up finding another person, or what? No, I actually, um, so my, my reaction to that was she's obviously wrong because to me, the church was very important to me. I just wanted to be happy in my addiction and also a member of the church. (laughs) Um, so when she said that, I was like, well, you're obviously wrong. And I started actually taking this more seriously. Like maybe I need to look at my behaviors maybe I need to change. Maybe there needs to be something because that was obviously not the right answer. So, um, after how many meetings did it take for you to to do what Jay described as you started hearing words that were similar to the words you were saying in your own brain that you're like, you know what, maybe this is more than a compulsion or just a bad habit that I'll eventually get over that maybe I am like them in the room. Yeah. So it took me... So I have to admit, first of all, I was very fast through the program. I kind of had a kind of Alma the Younger type experience through the program. Um, it, I had two meetings before I started realizing I'm an addict. Okay. And then I had a job where I could listen to things while I was working. And so I started listening to the podcasts immediately following that meeting. podcast? No, the, um, the oh. ones on the ARP website. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know about you guys yet. Um, but I started listening to the ARP podcasts, and... There's an ARP podcast? Yeah, they, yes. You go, you go through the steps. Oh, okay, you just do steps. Yeah, at yeah. the bottom of the step, it has podcasts, it has, live, it has meetings that they've recorded. Oh, rad. Yeah, so if you go to um, arp.lds.org, okay. go to one of the steps, go to the very bottom, and it will say podcast. Cool. And so I listened to the male pornography meeting and the general addiction meeting. I listened to one step a day every day for 12 days. Um, and about halfway through that is when I had my conversion moment, I guess you can call it, uh, where I, I wasn't quite ready to make the change, but I, I told God, if you're willing to, or if you will make me willing, then I'm willing to be willing. Yeah. If that's sense. To do the work. That's yeah. The but I couldn't get myself manual. to want it bad enough. So I said, you're going to have to make me want it. And at that point is when. I was able to make that shift and that change. And from then on, it was just kind of like a very rapid change for me. Great. Well, that's the, the steps say be willing, right? Be right. willing to have, be willing to have this happen. Be willing to do this. And if you're willing, then the Lord helps, helps you get, helps you get there. Right. I think that's really the, the only thing that we're asked to do. Like if you read the steps, it's basically just be willing to allow a change, be willing to do this, be willing to do that. Because I can't change. I can't make myself change, 100%. but if I'm willing to let God change me, then he can. We had a testimony about that on Sunday in our church, me and Brad's ward. Yeah, they were talking about like, I think it was in the ward or it was in Sunday school, but how God, it, this person was in Normie, not in the program, but was saying how it's a, the, the true miracles of our Sunday school. It was uh, true miracles are when our dispositions change, our stony, stony heart replaced with the heart of flesh, right? Like. For those of us in addiction, like that scripture can't even like that. Nothing connects more with that. Like, I mean, to go from obsessing over something daily 
and we don't really do it. We just become willing. And then all of a sudden, sometimes he has to make us become willing. But then all of a sudden, you're just, I don't want that anymore. And you've right. wanted it. You've ups- Not only have you wanted it, you've obsessed more than any Norman can understand about wanting something. Because in your mind, you, we believe that getting that action, drug, alcohol, sex, pornography, it will, it will, it will seize the pain in us, right? Like it'll, it, that's our solution. That's like the salve to the wound. Yeah, it's not. It's it's like so temporary. much. It, like the only way to describe it is like air. Like you have to. Like you're so ang- anxious in your life daily that like this one thing will make it all right. And then the sad part is when those things you can't stop and it's never enough. And then here you it's are. Like and the only thing that's going to make you think, the only thing that's going to save you from drowning is reaching out to the addiction. Yeah, more. It's, okay. it's, it's counterintuitive, right? So, Absolutely. Have you been yeah. to a general ARP meeting with uh, yeah. drug addicts and alcoholics? What do you I think am, about those? I love those meetings. Okay, cool. So much. Cool. They're so good. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually uh, connect really well in those meetings because although I don't admit what my particular addiction is because it, it, it's kind of hard for guys to hear a female say that she's a sex addict. Um, I don't admit my addiction, but I do I identify that addict, much. You just introduce yourself by your name. Yeah. Just yeah. Well, I actually just say I'm a, I'm an addict yeah. or yeah, cool. former addict. So okay. that's what I've been doing in our general addiction. So, you know, like most people didn't know until recently when I say addict, because most of my stories are about drugs, but in my opinion, because there are now females in that meeting and now most of them are just wives, right? Or, or spouses, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate always to talk about, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just, it's different in our meetings compared to some, right? And so um, I just say addict and I say that all encompasses, but then when we're in private, like, dude, like, cause I've had wives tell me, oh, well, Jay, you don't understand. You wouldn't be so open if you were a sex addict. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you think, you think I just tried drugs? Like my entire life, you think a lifelong of being a heathen since I was a bird, you know, and then join the church. You think I'd never looked at pornography or sex or, or let me tell you some stories. Like, you know, like, okay, I was just like your husband. Or I was just like so-and-so, you know, so. Right. But even still, even if you, if you hadn't, although that's ridiculous, yeah. if you hadn't. Even if you haven't, addiction is addiction. Well, yeah, exactly. These are people that and don't fully get it yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It's something that needs to change, and it's something that you're unable to change. Yes, on your own. It goes back to what you said. On your own, you can't do any of this. Right. That's what I. That's that's my normie perspective. Is it doesn't matter what it is, if it's something that's con for the most on the surface contrary to living the gospel standards. That 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 could be an addiction. It could be a substance. Could be a behavior. Could be an attitude. Um, and that's why I put SSA in there because if you're obsessing about something, then then this the atonement and the steps are like the baby steps walking you through that change of heart and, and repentance. Repentance is just change, changing right. direction. We look at it as a, such a negative word, but yet if you read the scriptures, it says we need to call people to repentance, and that just means hey, let's just change. Let's just get better. And, and if we, we associate these only with addiction and a drug or a, or sex or pornography or some, one of those things, but on the, those are the, those are the obvious ones, Yeah, like we see on the surface, but they are, the root of it is I'm just trying to change. Right. Well, like we talked about before we started recording, in my opinion, all addiction stems from pride. And so the main issue that, that we're dealing with is pride. Enmity between us and God. 
100. Uh, not sorry, not really question. That, that part in those steps, like when you said that earlier before we started, I started shaking my head because I've, it's taken me six years to figure this out, but uh, as long as I figured it out, right? But I'm finally at a point where I was just this year been talking about it the most that, you know, with Brad, Lexi, and my close friends and in our meetings and even considering, you know, maybe one day writing a book about it, but like his ego, you know, it's edging got out and it's that part right there. Everything I, because everything since I joined the church 15 years now, like all these things always came to that principle of edging God out, ego, pride, enmity towards, like justifying whatever sin because I was like, oh, well, you're not really there or you don't love me because why would you let me live this way or why would you allow this, you know, circumstance to happen? And it took me forever because I was talking to someone the other day, we and Brad spoke on a panel in this, like in, in, in Laguna Beach. And so it was a lot of a lot of uh, fancy people and fancy members and all this good stuff, right? And then here's two guys just talking about a really heavy subject, but we try to make it light. And but the, you know, a mother came up and she was in tears about her son, and and uh, and I was just talking about like how this this ego, you know. Anyways, it, 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 there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like this is this is. Uh, I said, but it took me a long time to realize that. You know, in Mormon culture or any type of religion culture, you're not going to stand up and say, well, I don't I have enmity towards God right now. So, like, <laughs> like, you know, what I mean, like, hey, hey, I, I'm upset because, hey, the, when I got off the plane in the Philippines for my mission, like I didn't feel like I felt like everyone else going into it. I love the I'm one of the few people that I knew that love the MTC and love the church culture and love it. And then I got all the way there ready to go running out the door. And then I saw starving human beings that were look now like my children. Right. They're they're my children's age. And I watched these kids dying in front of me. And I had heart like instantaneously. I resentment started to build towards God when it probably wouldn't have. If I would just ask the question, hey, mission president, have you ever stopped and thought about like, where's God in this? He could have think of the advice he could have gave me like or my companion. I just I wasn't going to say that I needed to be I needed to be uh, like you bottled it up. I bottled it up and I didn't express that until five and a half years ago when I did the steps. Or five years ago. That's how long, right? And everything I can trace back to that, what you said, well, we that get, pride. We get told that we have to be examples to everyone else and that we have to uplift everyone else and all those things. And, and I think that's good and I think that's right. But I also think being an example is being vulnerable and showing, hey, I struggle and I need you and you need me. And that's the only way we're going to make it through this. And, you know, that to me is a better example than I've got it all figured out. I have a question for both of you. How do you balance that with being a victim? Because that's also mm-hmm. is you don't want to have the victim, poor me, poor me. Yeah. But you also need to say, poor me, maybe only once. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, you balance out being, I'm not being a victim, but also being vulnerable that you're, uh, that you're struggling. Because, yeah. Because you know, so, I know plenty of people that I'm struggling, but they don't want to get out of the struggle. They don't want to find a solution to it. Is there a way? Sure. Do you have, do you have, is that a struggle? Oh, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think I'm saying poor me like a victim, like vulnerable like a victim, but hey, I've made some bad choices <laughs> and you've made some bad choices. Uh, I, I was thinking of more along those lines. When you say like, how do we balance being a victim? Um, I don't think we ever are. Things happen to us and then we make choices about them. You know, I don't really see, like, I've had a lot of really hard things, really hard things happen in my life that have happened to me, but I don't want to be a victim of those things. I want to say, hey, these things happened and it was hard and I need some help. 
because I don't want to be stuck here. <laughs> I want to be somewhere else um, where I'm happy again. And I want to make the right decisions to get out of this hole. Yeah. I don't want to perpetrate it. Like I was a victim of child abuse. Yep. I don't want to be stuck in child abuse so that I perpetuate that on my children. Oh, dude, that I was there. My wife was doing hair right before I left my house. And that's exactly what we're talking about. I was like, just because something's happened doesn't mean that you weren't a victim in that circumstance, right? Because it's like as a kid, you kind of are. You can be victim to a lot of things. But for me to go and repeat that, I don't want anyone to feel bad. Oh, when I say, oh, my, 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 my childhood had its moments with uh, verbal abuse with, you know, a step parent or school teacher or whatever it was or kids. But it, to, to identify with that and then now, you know, like you said, I don't want that to keep going. There's no excuse. You know, God's right. granted me with the fullness of not only the gospel, but f- truth and, and a mind to, to change, right? That's the only thing that separates you and me and Brad from the animals is that we don't have to follow in our, our nature, right? An animal realizes there's, there's violent things in this world, so now it reacts back and there's no going away from it. You go up and try to pet a rattlesnake, you're dead. Like, things going to bite you, right? And these bears and stuff, we've seen this. But with humans, we can have these things happen to us in our youth or adulthood, and we, we may have a time where we're skittish like an animal would be, but if we do these process of communication, which are these steps like you're talking about, you learn to not only extract the emotion out of it so you don't react at the fight or flight, but you can embrace it and have empathy towards your, yourself, your situation, and then, of course, everyone else. Yeah. And that's not to say that you're not injured. Totally. Like my, my therapist that I go to now is fantastic. Um, he was saying, yeah, you, you have an injury. You have trauma in your past. You have an injury. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, but let's say I lost a hand. I still have so many things I could do. I don't have to be stuck in that experience, you know. So I have an emotional injury. Okay, so how do I learn to live with this injury? Or how do I learn to heal this injury? How do I move on from here? I don't want to stay here. That's a good therapist you have. I mean, that's a you're in the journey, right, of over, like, six years ago. I had to identify with all these things that happened in my childhood with a sponsor and uh, identify that they were the root, right? Just, right. uh, and then I identify, like I said on my mission, that that was a root too. Why it was not keeping the commandment. Yeah, I was having a harder time than it used to. And then, and you know, that identifying you now opening up the channels where the Holy Ghost can communicate to you to help you connect the dots of how this is is gonna. He's gonna. I always say like God doesn't necessarily. You know, they say let us go through trial. Well, he he does. He knows that this world's innate, but. He can turn any situation into a good, positive learning experience. Anything that I cause, that you cause for me, he causes for me, the world causes, a sickness causes, doesn't matter. There is a way if we want, if we turn our will over to God, which is what you're talking about, let down your pride scriptures, talk about this, go to him and and say, no, I really want to know, like, what's, you know, and, and then before you know it, that wound, right, I used to look at my addiction as a wound, like, because I was obsessive for so long my entire life childhood 30 you know 32 years old now and but since i was five years old six years old 11 years old with drugs um i now don't you know obviously there's no emotion towards that anymore it's like oh this is i've recognized this now as like okay this is a healed wound it's stronger and now i could choose to just hide that or i can go try to help other people realize the same thing well i think that's really important to remember too when we think of the things that we've done to other people um, that we can't fix, that God can fix them. Just like he can fix and heal us, he can fix and heal the people we've hurt that we can't fix. Yes. I give back 
the virtue I've stolen from people. Totally. That's a good point. But I can rely on God to do that for I'm glad me. you said that. I guarantee there's people listening that, that need to hear that. That's a, that's a, I was talking to a sponsor the other day and he was like, well, how do I go back and write this girl? And then this, I said, well, listen, it's not appropriate anymore. You're married. Like, you know, th- those types of contacts, you're just going to have to trust that that, that girl is actually, if you believe in all this, then guess what? She's a daughter of a heavenly father that is perfect. So he'll figure out a way to heal her. Well, but what about, you know, it's like, no, stop trying to control the show. Right. <laughs> right. That's a good thing. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, couple, so a couple years in ARP, you went through the steps pretty quick. You have about two years, did you say, two years of sobriety? Uh, yeah, a couple years of sobriety, two, three, somewhere in there. Congrats. Does your, uh, again, logistics question, do they celebrate milestones of recovery? Like one year, two years? So you talk about chips, and I'm kind of jealous. We don't have chips. Um, but I'm also kind of glad that I don't have to admit how long I've been in recovery, um, because some people think, well, you're just new to recovery, and I feel like, no, I've been through a lot, you know? But you you don't want to admit you're new, or you do want to admit? I don't know. Sometimes I want to go either way, so I'm kind of glad that I don't have to admit what exactly it is. <laughs> have you ever talked to them about why, like, the leader of it? Like, how come they don't? So I'm actually the missionary now. Okay. Oh. So, okay. so you're the, the group leader, and then you have a facilitator? Yes. Okay. So have you ever been to, I, this is now us being really inquisitive because it's interesting to us, right? So this is where, because at first I, I looked at him obviously like most people, a negative, but then I'm like, oh, okay, I see the positive. Then I kind of went to, well, I could now after sponsoring people, I could see how it would be a negative because people obsess and then want, want praise and including myself. I'm just as sick as anyone else. And then, and then all of a sudden, then I'm back around full circle to, no, like they're there because when I walked into that room, there was a girl who got a year chip right ahead of me that had lost everything to drugs and alcohol and, and a lot of other things. And, you know, and then all of a sudden she was taking this year wide eyed, you know, bushy tailed and got her life back and her kid. And I was like, that's who I want. Okay. I don't necessarily want to be her, but I want what she has. So if dude, it was like an, it was like real identifying. Like if I didn't see her get that chip, how would I have known how long, you know, I don't know. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and the other thing I'm jealous about your meetings, so I listened to you guys talking about how to make a great meeting. Um, the other thing I'm jealous about is we don't have, my meeting, my original meeting, did not have anybody in recovery. Yeah. Uh, and the missionaries were not addicts. That's tough. And the facilitator had very good, little. Good, better, best. That's good you had one. Yeah. But, not, yeah. but like almost in – like the fact that you were able to find – we'll go into this now with more questions, but oh, like this program only works – it's the the miracle of this thing working. Yeah, is is another addict helping another addict. Like, bro, I love Brad to death. This guy gives me a lot of life advice, church advice, and a lot of advice that I apply to recovery for sure. But in the days when I was an opiate addict, shoveling a thousand pills in my mouth, I wouldn't even have. I couldn't hear a word he said. I I didn't even hear the addicts at first say things to me. Let it was finally going. Oh, dude, this guy describes how he was hiding in his basement snorting meth when he had three little kids i'm just okay i've done that he's done that okay uh, what okay how'd you now you're sober okay what'd you what'd you do like you right. know what i mean so how how did that change in your meeting has you didn't have a sponsor but you did have a good therapist so you had a good I therapist i have a good therapist at the time Not i have time. a good therapist now but i didn't then okay oh geez okay so tell us what happened that's crazy uh, I had to rely on God. God was my sponsor. Yeah. I had to take everything to him and say, you know what? I want 
once he gave me the desire to come clean, I had to just say, tell me what the next step is. Tell me what to do. And it was, it was down to change your clothing, change who you talk to, change the way you talk, change the way you think. Um, I just, he would tell me what to do. And I had to go that way. And I, I wanted a sponsor, but we, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> no, I believe you. We're, yeah. I believe you. This is blowing it's my mind. Crazy. I would be dead if I didn't have. Right. Uh, that's so why we preach so much about, about breaking anonymity and getting out of your shell. And if you get recovery, keep going to meetings because, mm-hmm. I mean, in Utah, there's a lot of meetings, but you go to like Ohio or Kansas or wherever, even like an hour up the road from here, there's, there's a cute little missionary couple in there. And they're like, this is great. And great testimony of the Lord. Like, they're great people. And you've got someone strung out on drugs, alcohol, has been drinking Sex, for 30 years. She done like, whatever it is. And, and you can't relate. It's hard to relate. Yeah. Well, and see, and that's with my husband and I being the leaders. My husband's an army. Um, and we go into these meetings, and I've had people, when they're doing their sharing, say, well, you know, I don't know that I want to be the Molly Mormon like you, <laughs> you know. And then it gets to my share, and I say, guess what? I'm not. Yeah. You know? That's and I think that that was really impactful for them. Do you them. have sponsors now? Like, have you integrated that now that you're the ward missionary? Like, have you – how do you guys do that? Um, I still do not have a sponsor. I have not had cravings since my recovery. Have you sponsored other people? I have not. Okay. I have not had anyone ask me to. And part of that is being a missionary, they we, – we don't – generally sponsor people as missionaries. Well, that's what I've heard. But um, I would like to. I'd like to be involved in that. If you're going to save someone, I say do it. Because generally, people who are writing the manuals are normies. And, yeah. And in a perfect world, yeah, that's great. But but in a perf- but we don't have – we don't. you have more mature meetings where you've got, like, segmented gender, specific sex or pornography. Like, it's kind of like what AA grew up. Like, when it first AA, it was just AA. And then once drug they had addicts. enough drug addicts, they're like, okay, well, now we can start an NA or maybe we can start a cocaine A. And, and now there's an A for everything secularly. Um, and I think in the church, we're just getting more mature and we can take those key. The, we hear in general conference how the reformation was critical in the restoration. Mm-hmm. And men were, people were inspired to make these changes and to do these things to prep or prep prepare and, and bring about the restoration. And mm-hmm. I, I feel the same way about AA and SA and NA and all those things. And mm-hmm. ARP is just, though we have the, we have the why works explained with atonement, we still don't have the experience of the years of the process. And, yeah. and, uh, and, that's and, what we're and, and rituals are important to us, like in the church. Like, why do we go to the temple? We do the exact same thing in the temple every time. And it, mm-hmm. why? Because it works. Why do the sacrament the same way? Because yeah. it works. And so there are traditions that I believe are truly inspired from AA that that's our ego saying, well, we'll do it different because we have the whole truth. So we're just going to do it different. You got to wear a name tag because that's what missionaries do and this and this. And those, to me, there's a lot of normie rules putting on it because that's what it worked when I was a missionary. And so your name, you have a missionary title. And so you yeah. have this tag. It says sister so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know I'm a normie enough, but I know that my friends like Jay and the other ones that come in, they see that. They're, they'll mentally check out and listen to a word you say. Or me, because I dress like this in a meeting. Yeah. And, and I'm yeah, in the kept room. We're supposed to dress up, and I don't like that. And then really? they, then they um, see me on Sunday, and they're like, oh, 
Okay, so oh, you're you, in the state. Like you, you can be like a real person that I can relate to, but you're also on the state high council and you're speaking in my sacrament meeting about whatever. Yeah, yeah, when they see us on Sunday, like, oh wow, like you're you, oh okay, like you clean up well. I'm like, you think I dress like this all the time? Like I still, I, I just because I'm sober doesn't mean I'm an animal. Like, but it's kind of like you identified with this. You said there are people that won't. Oh, I didn't know you were in recovery because of that name tag, because of dressing up. This, this once again, it's all about the similarities not the separations right and so the different anytime you can set apart yourself and make yourself different it's not good it's not good like because we're all the same we're all the same in our opinion and and brad is someone who did break that and before that missionary couples were dressing up and then the guy ahead of us in san clemente meeting james would do when he became the they still went they wore the tags but he didn't dress up he's like i ain't wearing a suit and tie unless i have to and you know and um and because he's also in recovery himself, right? And he wants to identify – he wants the newbies to walk in there and ask him to sponsor him because he – you know, one thing that we tap into in recovery, most of us is like when people are like, oh, you sponsor these people. How do you do it? We were sitting on a panel with a guy who sponsors 50-something people right now, and he's at a unique stage of his life where he can do that um, at once. Um, but we know that the key the, – like that's, that's keeping him sober, like it's like we're tapped into like this little that when want to know the secret they're like why do you got it all figured out it's like i don't have it all figured out that's that's number one and then number two one the only thing i know that if i'm not around the prop if i'm not on the front line of this thing there's a part of my brain that will say that i'm cured it just will it won't be it'll be subconscious it'll be so neatly packaged that all of a sudden i'll start believing it and i even stepped down as facilitator for a while just because i felt the package starting to to arise and I wanted other people to have that experience because naturally people want to then go up to the guy who started the meeting and say, hey, will you sponsor me? Because, you you know, anyway, so we got to be careful of that. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I do like about dressing up is when I do say I'm an addict, they look at me. Yeah. You get their yeah. attention. Totally. That makes sense. I get what you're saying with that. There's, yeah. There, there's, that, sure not. there's this double life thing. Yeah. And, and again, we have, neither of us have lived in Utah. I lived there for college, but there's like, if you're not wearing a, I joke about it a lot. If you're not wearing a white shirt and tie, then you must not be as righteous as me. <laughs> and, and that's a cultural thing. Like if you've been to church on vacation where you showed up in jeans and a t-shirt. So we yeah. did that, uh, on whatever, some holiday and my kids were so uncomfortable <laughs> and I related, I'm like, well, that's probably how uncomfortable maybe an addict or someone who's struggling, not living the, the gospel showing up the church they feel that uncomfortable maybe even more probably even more and so i i love it when i see people come to church dressed casual because i know how much courage that takes and so if i can in an arp meeting i want to do everything i can to not make them feel uncomfortable because i know how uncomfortable they are walking into a church building already um and and i don't think that the clothes you wear makes you righteous or less righteous uh, yeah. Or provides any more authority my, on the my topic. bolo ties on Sunday. I like to break the norm. Like I heard someone say something like Brad saying right now, not too long ago, a few years back, and said, "You ever realize like most of the guys we dress like uh, investment bankers, right?" And I like, oh, I, I, it's this fine line of like, yes, we, yeah, we, you know, the prophet told us we want to, you know, the certain things for the priesthood, white shirt tie. And I believe in it still, but I start to see where this is where culture can work its way in. Show, show up casual one day. See how uncomfortable you are. I wore sandals in the summer, and it was like, I'm not going to lie. It, it, people are like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I'm like, why is it even a big deal? Like, that's interesting that 
it's almost like an experiment. But anyways, get back to that point. Uh, so right now in your meeting that you're the missionary, when, if I come to your meeting and I'm new and you're, I say – You're a guy girl. Oh, okay. No, I don't do – I do general addiction. Oh, you do? Okay. Oh, yeah. That's okay, what I okay. thought. That's what I thought. Okay. Sorry. So come and I say, hey, I need help. How does that – now do you have sponsors or no? Like is that person just supposed to – So we have that blue sheet you guys probably have that tells you how to get a sponsor. Yeah. To just use that. We don't supply sponsors. Um, so we'll direct them to somebody or we'll give them the blue sheet. I no, haven't had a sponsor. I'd like one. I don't even know how to sponsor someone. Listen to our podcast on the sponsor round. But, but even, even rather than going that way, I could connect you with someone who – it's not like you're doing the – you've already done all this, first of all. You've been living it. You're in recovery. I'm not yeah. saying you're not. What I'm saying, you can now – like my wife. Come for six years, right? We've been going together for six years this month almost, okay? So for her, me for sure, six. But um, point is, this year she finally did the steps. And the reason being because there was enough women in her shoes that were coming that needed – I tell her, I was like, Lex, you can be – like, what if I – I did the steps eventually because someone came to me and said, Jay, you're the only one in this meeting that I want to be my sponsor. Will you sponsor me? And I was like, dude, okay – I'm not, I, yeah. I knew once it got to the fourth step, I'm not, I don't know what to do if I haven't done it. So finally I did it and everything else came from that. And if I hadn't done that, and then, so what I'm saying is, you could, you, you going through the 12 steps could be really fast just to gain the logistics side of it, of how it's done. And then in turn, oh my gosh, like this could change. I'm sure your meeting's amazing because the spirit, when I'm talking to you, is amazing. But, once again, general addiction, we got, we, you know, not just sex addicts, with, even though sex is depressive and suicidal, we know that. These are facts. When drug, And then usually sex and drugs are tied anyways. But, um, man, this, this is life or death. Like, and, 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 and people that are walking in that meeting for the first time, imagine this. Imagine when you're done. Like, you're listening to shares, right? A guy's sharing here about his opiates. You know Bob over here is an opiate addict in recovery. He's done the steps. You, this is what we do at the end of meetings. We go, hey, nice to meet you. Let me introduce you to so-and-so or I take them. or the, so You know what I mean? Imagine yeah. being able to do that and not going like, here's a sheet. I hope it figured it out and please come back next week. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, I totally get you. Yeah. Um, we have surprisingly few people who want to start recovery come back, keep coming. Um, generally, we tap them for facilitators because we have about 40 meetings a week in our area. Yeah. Um, so we tap them as facilitators and then uh, and then missionaries and so on. But, but um, the culture there is if you're a facilitator, you're not sponsoring people? If you're a missionary, you're not sponsoring people. Okay. If Spons- you're a facilitator, you're not. Okay. See, that, that shows us, like, to me, that would say that, you know, this is where, you know, we has adopted an amazing thing like the 12 steps, right? We know that manual is inspired. Well, but guess what? We didn't write that as a church. You know, we took the steps from AA, and the culture of AA is – the only reason Bill, and if you haven't studied Bill Wilson, even though I've only been to one A meeting my entire life, I didn't study it. And I'm like, wow. The, like how he, he would literally go, once he finally got sober after a lifetime of alcoholism, he would run to bars. This is how crazy this guy was. He was an investment banker that was uber successful, then lost everything and got sober. And he was running his first year of sobriety into bars trying to grab drunks that would listen to him and bring him to the Oxford group, this Christian men's group. Right, which they were talking about the gospel, and say, "Hey, we get well. Guess what? A whole year goes by, and he's meeting with his doctor, Doctor, you know, Bob, and saying, 
you know, this year sucked. It was miserable. I couldn't get anyone to stay sober. And, and that's when the revelation, Bob said, do you realize, Bill, you haven't drank this entire year? First time in a year. First time in a year that you haven't drank. You've made it a whole year. And boom, the light bulb went off. We know this is the preconceived steps. One of those steps has to be a spiritual awakening. And then the other one has to be going out and serve it. Like, not to just the world. It's nice to do these other things. But if you're in recovery, if you don't want to go back to that drink, sex, drugs, and die of your disease, when we all know it's a miserable life, so imagine the death from it, um, it'd be just as miserable. Uh, we need to be out on the front lines, saving the, not saving those, bringing those people, carrying the message so they can find the Savior, so they can find that. And that's where it's like, it's crazy because you get these people like, dude, you this, you that. I'm like, dude. I'm literally regurgitating what my sponsor said to me, which then and you think the lineage, it goes back almost 100 years now, right? Like that's how the experience can be there too. It just needs someone to do it. What we've realized, when we talk to the higher ups all the way to the Salt Lake where this all started, uh, it's good, better, best. And they're cool with anyone doing however they want it, basically. Like you're saving you, lives. you say, listen, you're saving lives. At this point, if you think chips work, great. If you want an AA culture, whatever, we call it that. Because it's very similar to A, because it's got 100 years under its belt, so we're going to follow them. And we tweak it, right? Of course. We don't swear. We don't serve coffee. But you know what? We, we, we run it the way they run it. We, ha- we, we realize that, that man, those two men were inspired. And then the founding, founding 100 people of A were inspired to write those steps. And uh, the way they're written out, the way they work, uh, I, I, sh- I promise you, I may be sober still, but I wouldn't be alive. Like, really alive. Like, you know, I wouldn't have recovery the way I have it today because I was sober for a couple of years before I really dove into the steps. When I went through my steps afterwards, I thought, well, I don't need to go to a meeting anymore, just like everybody else. And I felt myself immediately being drawn back to those types of things. Well, it's creepy. Not right? necessarily to my complete addiction, but to the pride things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The things that and- lead to that. Yeah. And as soon as I recognize that, I'm like, I got to, we got to go back to meetings. I got to go. And I don't know, maybe I go for the rest of my life, but I don't know how anybody else can get recovery or think that, or at least get sober and then not come to meetings anymore. But that's definitely what happens. I, I have a normie friend that, that asked me that question, like, so, like, does Jay got to go forever? Like, what's the deal? Like, why? Like, I mean, he seems like he's doing great. Like, why does he have to go there? And that's when I explained step 12. But then my question back to him was like, why do you have to go to church every week? You mentioned in your testimony that you need to go to sacrament meeting every week or you need to go to the temple. Why? Why? Aren't you good? Like your testimony seems strong. And he sat there and like, oh, I get it. That's, that's a perfect comparison. Like, so like, are, are you so righteous? You don't have to go to church or temple anymore? Like, are, that, what's... That's yeah. good. I, I got, I, like what Brad says that, that like clicks. And I got a message from my little like ARP group guys. And it was a text message once again from AA. It's an app you can get. It's called The Great Vine Daily Quotes, and it's stuff from Bill Wilson usually and from A. But this one says, no matter how truthful the words of my message, there could be no deep communication if what I said and did was colored by pride, arrogance, intolerance, resentment, um, imprudence, or desire for personal acclaim. And then it says right here, even though I was largely unconscious to these attitudes. See, like, with, without, uh, with, and then it said, acceptance to humility and imperfections, what makes life so much easier to live one day at a time. And, you know, it's Bill Wilson, and, and, and we don't see all these defects, like, as addicts, as humans. We all, 
they creep up. You know, it, we, we have to rely. And that's where this, this, these meetings are, are so unconventional to society because we're trusting other individuals to come in there. I hear our personal stuff. Then if we become friends with them, call us out on when they see those things. And that's their job. Like I'm, I'm, I put myself on that text thread. So my friends that are sick like me who have less time than me, right? Some of my sponsor to say, Hey, that's BS. You shouldn't, you know, what you're saying there is no, like, no, that's, that's your pride. That's your ego. That's this. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And then that's why me and my buddy Xander, when we talk about it, the only reason why we're sober today still, and we didn't only get sponsors, but we, I, we really embrace this, like, Hey, there, there's going to be times where you're ahead of, you're going to feel spiritually powerful and I'm not in my weakness. I need to, I need someone to call me out cause well, they're sneaky. The normies would not be afraid to, cause yeah. we don't want to push you right. back into it. Yeah, we and so we're going to love you. To, we'll love you and tell you you're great, but we're, we'd be afraid to call you on that. BS. And my wife, this goes, you know, personal, but with my wife, like when we have arguments and she's like, Hey, you're being, you know, cause my personality is the way it is. Like you're pulled out. This is usually how it is. And, and it's more like, uh, I, I, you know, we've gotten to a point where I tell her, and she's finally done this after years, is like, I need you to call. If you don't call me out, maybe not in the moment you, when we're you all. You say this to her. Yeah, yeah. You need to me. I need you personally. If you really want me to change, right? Like if you really want you to have your opinion voice, which you deserve 100%, and you really want to feel the way love you need. If you don't, if you don't call me out, guess what? I don't know. And just like, and I, we read this in an eternity talks. It was a marriage counseling CDs the church sells at, you know, the distribution center. So I know this is sound principle. It's not just my opinion, but it's like we as spouses, we as people, we're you're not supposed to be a you're not supposed to be like some psychologist to figure it out. And my, you know, psychologically, we're, we're we're called and putting each other's life going back to calling each other to repentance. It's not saying hey, you need to change. It's hey, like just letting you know, I'm feeling like my opinion is not validated lately. You know, or I'm just letting you know that lately I feel like you're bulldozing me. It doesn't mean I need you to change this, that, and the other. It's just like, and I'm like, oh, I hear that. I'm like, oh, I'm doing it again. But I'm glad because I'm like, how long have I been doing it? I don't even, I get in these modes and we just, we're all like this as humans, right? So this is where it's more of a human thing than an addict thing. But Well, uh, I think yeah. that we need to kind of, so you, you keep bringing up the phrase, call people to repentance. And I think people need to understand that that doesn't mean angry or vindictive right. or anything like that. Just like you would tell a child, Oh, you fell down. Yeah. Let me help pick you back up. You know, it's the same concept. We're, we're just infantile on this earth and we do the same mistakes over and over again. And God doesn't look at us like you schlep, you stupid child, you know, yeah. He's, let me help you back up. You've fallen down. And that's what we're supposed to do to each other is to say, Hey, it's expected. You're going to fall down. That's normal. That's expected behavior. So let me just, hey, you fell down. Let me help you up. Yeah, I had a guy text me the other day, and he's like, he was super bummed that he relapsed, right, again. And I'm not sponsoring I wasn't sponsoring him at this time. And, like, my response back was, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. Like, you told me that. Like, oh, my gosh, tell me, like, what happened? How did it work out? Then I got on the phone with him, and I'm, he's, like, so bummed. He's been trying so hard. He's working so hard. Um, but you know, when sometimes you're fixated in the problem, the problem has you still like you haven't found, you got to emancipate yourself. And, and sometimes we think we're emancipating, but really we're not right. Like kind of like an abusive relationship. You think you're doing the right thing, but really you're staying there and that's the problem. So it can happen in our minds too. Um, we, we stay in the problem all the time and, um, I'm all excited and, and, and he's just like, why are you know, like, you could tell, I could tell by the end 
And it was really because we had just left, I think, podcasting or talking. Like something was really awesome. And then so the first person that happened to call me on that moment was someone uh, like I'm so sorry. Expecting probably like you did it again. What is wrong with you? Instead, it was like – which I would have never said. But it was like, dude, like it's awesome. Like the old you would have never admitted that, right? So this shows me how far you are. I don't know if I'd ever admit if I relapsed. I've never relapsed. But all I know is that the thought of that is scary to have to call someone and say it again. And I'm like, so what you did is rad. You like inspired me to be more honest with myself. And right. and it's not like a cheesy sales pitch. It's like real. I, I, felt, was that. I felt that and then I ended up sponsoring that person. So well, they you, don't focus how much stronger they become. Totally. Totally. You mentioned, and to point that out too. You yep. mentioned uh, and we kind of glossed over it, but you're uh, leading it with your husband. So you're married. Were you married this whole process, whole time or did no. was the timeline of this in marriage? So I was in the process of going to meetings and recovering when I met my husband. Okay. Um, I remember going to a meeting and saying, uh, I'm dating my drug <laughs> because I'm a sex addict and there was somebody I was really interested in. And we decided we weren't going to, you know, I wasn't going to kiss him. I wasn't going to be involved. I did tell him right away. Um, we found it was too hard to date. So we got, got married. And him being a normie didn't realize what he was getting into, perhaps, with an addict. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it worked out okay. Um, him him going to ARP broke. meetings now has given him a PhD in it. Sorry? How long has he been going to ARP meetings with you and leading them? Oh, yeah. So the whole time we've been married, so two years now. So um, or not the time, most of the time. So he didn't say, this is your problem? No. No, not at all. He went to the family support meetings all by himself because nobody else was in the family support meetings. Um, missionary but he couple went to those. him. What's that? Missionary couple in him. Yeah, yeah. Just and the missionary couple. <laughs> uh, but he went to those, and then we started going to group meetings together. And yeah, he's been heavily involved in it. He hasn't ever um, said that it was something he couldn't handle, something he wasn't willing to do with me. Um, and he's just like, whatever you need, that's what we'll do. So how many dates in until you shared this with him? Second date. Second date. How do you bring that up? He actually said, you're a little different than the other people I've dated. Tell me what's different or something along those lines. And I said, well, these are the things that I'm dealing with. This is what I've got going on in my life. You know, I'm a, have these experiences with my, my past where I've been hurt and I've hurt people through my addictions and this is me and I expected him to run. Hmm. And he just sat there and listened and he said, tell me more about this or explain that or, or whatever. And, and I said, you know, I, I'm an addict and that's going to be who I am. And he just said, okay. And you so. explain what that meant as far as... <laughs> Re- recovery and like what because as a normie if you first hear that I don't know if I would know what that meant five years ago I don't think he did okay I don't think he did and I, I asked him um, later he's actually sitting right here but I asked him would you have married me knowing what it meant to be an addict after going to these meetings and he's like it wasn't what I expected <laughs> that's a good question yeah don't yeah. don't ever ask that <laughs> unless you're okay with them saying no because I, I literally tell Lexi I'm like listen if I knew me remember <laughs> as an addict I don't know me that was the problem 
is right. I, just, I just knew how to be destructive and be an animal. I didn't know really what the root of my pain. So I, I would have, oh, a special human it would take to know that going into it fully. So right. it's okay. Okay, another yeah. question. Uh, <laughs> now that you're married, could you still uh, be act out on a sex addiction? Like how do you keep it? Um, because it's like you're married to your drug, but it's also you're okay to take hits off your drug. For lack <laughs> right. of better word, right? You're like, hey, go take your drug. Right. Um, so there's a couple things. I don't ever want to use him as an object. Okay. That's really important to me. Um, I also look for my pre-triggers. So I know what my triggers are, and I know what gets me to my trigger, which I call my pre-trigger. Um, as soon as I see myself going towards those pre-trigger behaviors... I start working the steps really, really hard because I know that I'm not doing what I need to be doing to that, stay clean. That was a good I got a question before I forget it. On that, without a sponsor, that's what I was going to ask you because normally that's what we would do. You find um, out what those triggers are. You, yeah, well, you find them out when you do steps, but then you, even years down the road, right, in recovery, I'll all of a sudden reach out to my sponsor and say, hey, I'm triggered. can't get this thing out of my mind. You know what I mean? This incident with this person, usually it has nothing to do with drugs, right? It's like, it's just a person, an argument. It's it's something I can't get over, and I know that if I sit in that long enough, there's no guarantee I won't go to pornography, sex, drugs, whatever, or just continue to be just depressed and miserable over this thing, right? Right. And so what? So in your shoes, without a sponsor, that's intense that you don't have anyone to call therapist. Yeah, uh, well, I have a therapist now. Yeah. Um, uh, I identified those for God though, because He told me that I needed to not do certain things. No, I so, get the identified part. And yeah. I mean, he, that's what he does to us, too. Just yeah, yeah. someone's in the room doesn't. Yeah. I mean, Lily, so, Lily, 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 my, my sponsor, sponsor was very mild-spoken. So he was just like, he, he wasn't one of those people that was going to put it in my face, which is good for me because I don't know if I responded well. But uh, I try to still sponsor people that way when I'm like, I'm like, I want them to make up their thing. Because yeah. like at the end of the day, I could relapse. I mean, I'm not saying I would, but I could die, relapse tomorrow. And, and so if your recovery is in me, just like missionaries converting someone, if you're converted because of a person and they fall away, then you're going to have a hard time. And yeah. so um, I, I meant more so uh, call, having that connection where someone you can pick up the phone and, and say, you know. I, I do talk to my husband. He's an army. But I do talk to him and I say, cool. you know, I, good. some of my pre-triggers are like reading the news, getting stuck on the Internet. Um, getting angry, overwhelmed, yeah, frustrated, all those types of things, and so I will tell him. I'm just very straight, straight up front with him, and just say, "Look, I these are pre-triggers for me, and I'm experiencing them. I'm really angry, or I'm really whatever. I can tell that I'm slipping, and I need some help. And we talk things through. We, you know, do whatever it takes to to work through those issues. Um, but yeah, I kind of use him as my sponsor, I guess, even though he's not. Quite the same. I thought that So, so you could see where this would be. I guess, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, obviously, you've made it work. You're sober. I'm just meant like, uh, so you could see though how this could benefit you if you had, mm-hmm. some, you know, going back. Yeah, down. Sure. it's. it's uh, I mean, it's recovery is miraculous in itself, and doing it without a sponsor and without a a group, without a lot of people in recovery, is is even more miraculous. Way more. Um, so what are some things you do differently than the, a normie woman would do? Like, do you, are you off social media? Are you, yes. do you not watch Netflix? Like what, what are some, cause most of the men we speak with that are sex or pornography addicts, they radically need to correct. The, the only thing. ones who get sober do it. The, the ones that have sobriety don't Long-term. do things the way I do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's radically different. My kids get annoyed because I don't watch movies that have anything 
at all in them. Um, even just a lot of contention, things like that. I just, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with those things. Um, I don't watch certain movies. I don't read certain books. I don't um, go certain places. I don't have conversations with certain things. You mean like physically go, like drive, or is that what you mean by going? Okay. Yeah. Like Like, what kind of places? Like going to the mall. There are images all over the mall. Yeah. I don't go to the mall. Okay. I just, that's just too early. This is helping you here because a lot of people don't know why they relapse, but they don't change their lifestyle. Yeah, that's why he's asking. He's asking us not to be inquisitive. Diet, like, you know, if you're trying to, if you're a food addict, you've got to dramatically change your life, your lifestyle of eating. And I would think the closest thing to that is probably a sex addiction or pornography is you have to alter your lifestyle. And so yeah. not going to the mall. And to a normal, you're like, what do you mean you can't go to the mall? Right. But I describe like, if you're an alcoholic walking to the grocery store and the first thing you see is the aisle of booze you have to walk through, that right. would, to me does nothing. To get to the dairy aisle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To me, it doesn't do anything. But I, now I walk through, I'm like, dude, that'd be gnarly to walk through if like I'm, because I'm even looking like, oh, that's a cool looking bottle, but it, but it does not affect me. Yeah. And so no movies. Yeah, it does affect me. And so I just stay away from all of those things. It was a radical shift. It is a radical shift. You know, the it kids want to go see a movie. They have to go see it on their own because I'm not going to that kind of a movie. What do you, you tell know? people? Because you haven't broken any movie publicly. What do you tell people? So that they don't like, otherwise they may think you're like, oh, she thinks she's better than us because she doesn't go see a PG-13 movie or whatever. Yeah, they think I'm a prude. Okay. I, I love telling people. Oh, I just tell people. For me, like, I'm like, I'm at a place where I'm, where I'm like, I'm so, I'm so, I can barely handle myself in my own head that I can, I'm at a point now where, like, I just, You're I just, able to say that. I just need to not have, and I have a hard time taking criticism, and I know that, and I do want, from my core group of people, I want it, but I don't want, I don't. Uh, so in it's podcast. Yeah, when people review that, me, yeah, I don't like that. Uh, no, because <laughs> it's not because I'm like, oh, you're better than me, or you tell me what to do. It's like I already have enough insecurities. I don't want to subject myself to. Try, I don't want to try to be. It's I've lived my whole life being some an image of what I thought. That's what they wanted from Jay. That's the Jay they like. Or you know, this interesting is, the, you is know, you've broken anonymity and you're able to put that out there, which helps you, or it's probably more difficult for you because you just have to go. I would like, look like a crazy movie. person if I didn't. Well, right? if you'd just be like, yeah, I don't want to go. Like all these excuses, right? Because they would you can't assume say, you're a prude, yeah. You're a prude. You're too judgmental. You think you're better than me because everyone – like we were, at our, we were at Sushi last night, Hero or whatever, Heroes last weekend. And this guy is drinking sake and the sushi, sushi chef's a sake guy. But the guy next to us is pounding sake. And he's making like Mormon jokes like, oh, Mormon this, that. And we're like – Because oh, he knows that we're out there all no, Mormon. he didn't know we were. Oh, okay. He was – Hero was too drunk. He didn't know. The, the sushi chef, but the guy sitting next to us who – I knew who he was and he didn't know who I was. I think he was too buzzed. Um, but he started like – because his brother got a teaching uh, – I'm not going to expose him. He, he got a temporary position at BYU, and he's not a member of the church. And so he was like, oh, those Mormons, you know, this and that. And then he's like, oh, you got two daughters in college? We're like, yeah, they go to BYU. And he's like <laughs> – Oh, <laughs> connecting the dots. Dude, he immediately took his sake and like hit it. We're like, what are you doing? Like, He's like, I'm sorry about the sake. I'm like, the sh- he felt shame and judgment. Without being us. judged by someone who would never judge like, someone. Like, yeah, but he immediately felt that. And so you have people in the church because like we know we're not like that movie's a little questionable. And if you're like, yeah, I'm not going to go to that. They're going to immediately feel so, like that. That's tough. So isn't one it? of the things I had to do was cut off a lot of my social life. Like, I don't have friends anymore. Because they want you to go out and they'll, yeah. 
And so, I mean, I hope to have friends again. Being married is easier for that, though, right? It is. And I have a lot of kids, so that's easier, too. But for me, that was something I had to do, was changing my friend groups. Okay. Uh, I hope to have friends again, but right now... Well, I think God will put that in your life. I mean, I didn't know Brad until I broke anonymity, right? So for me, like, my group of friends, like, I put it out there in the universe that I didn't want... You know, I kept a few friends from my old life, but like a lot of people had to be ex, right? And not necessarily even me from them, but or them from me, but me from them too. Like I didn't want to lead to keep. We just had this destructive relationship, and so. But then I believe, just like when I joined the church, God will. If those are your desires, the heart, like to have good people that will accept you for you and like you, and and call you on your crap too. But like you know, a good balance. I mean, like Brad's one of them, and there's this group that. You know, it took years to find friends that were real friends that care truly about my happiness and the right things and would call me out if they really felt they needed to or something. Right. You know what I mean? It's so healthy. But it took it took a while, man. There was a couple of years where me and Lexi, we didn't have any friends. You know, like I didn't. Uh, and it was rough. I remember like having hard days about it, especially when I was still on social media because then I was putting myself into a, 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 a an atmosphere where you shame yourself, you know, and oh, everyone else seems to be happy. And here I am, don't have any friends because my addiction destroyed most of my relationships. And they're pissed at me and Lexi back. You know, there's just so much dynamic. The point is, once again, God delivered me from myself and turned a bad situation. And now I consider my friend group par, like, you know, way above what it was. And I wouldn't recommend to a general addict to just say, don't have friends, don't have a social group. Cause I think that that's actually disruptive. Yeah. That's isolation. You don't, you can't yes. isolate. That's, yes. that's part of the well, power of also the, the groups, the recovery groups, because yeah. you, you, become, get, close, you become close. I mean, I feel very close to people I see once a week in the meetings, but mm-hmm. I don't see outside, but you feel if, like they're really, if I need something, I could call them and I know they'd be there and or vice, vice versa. versa. Yeah. They call Brad or me in two seconds and, they feel for the first time in their life some older people that are like – Even though they're not hanging out. Yeah, but, but it's weird. You close. see them once a week. You see them. You're like you, – you know more about that person most of the time than your so, friends that you see all the time. That is so true. Yeah. I, and true friendship is just honesty. And so you get totally. true honesty in, in the recovery group. Yeah. So uh, are you on social media? Very little. Okay. I have one account and I check it occasionally. Okay. That's I have LinkedIn. That's when, the only thing I got left. When, when did you first hear – how did you hear about the Next Step podcast and what was the first episode you heard and what were your – obviously, you kept listening and you reached out, but do you remember that? Yeah. So it's probably about seven, eight months ago, maybe a little bit longer um, because I don't have friends and I don't have a lot of <laughs> things I can do right now. Um, I was looking on um, for – a podcast that would have more information about AARP or AAR or AA or anything like that. Just something that had more support. Were you in like the iTunes store or Googling it or what were you like? Yeah, just the iTunes store. Okay. Um, and looked up LDS uh, 12 step and you guys popped up. Um, yeah. And it, it was something to, cause I don't want to fall back into my addiction and I have to fill my life with good things. Which one sucked you in first to hit play on? Um, it was just whatever was up at the time. Okay. Uh, I don't remember who it was. I know one of the first ones I listened to was a female uh, food addict, which okay. was really interesting. Okay. Um, we had a guy that was a sex addict on. That was really good as well. Um, so, yeah, there have been some really good ones I've listened to. It's, it's, uh, it's neat for us. I mean, we don't know what we're doing. And, and and people, It's when I get an email, I'm like, someone's listening. Like, they send an email to us. Like, it is so, it's cool. Like. 
Yeah. We're able to, I mean, it's humbling and cool at the same time that we're able to make it. Because I remember when Jay was like, I would just hunt for listening to things all the time. Totally. And then I'd hear his shares. I hear the people share. I'm like, these stories are amazing. And I know if you right here didn't have that, there's people an hour away that don't, three hours away, another country that don't have that. So if we can put that out there, it's not that hard. I can, we can figure this out. So yeah. yeah, and I, I went back and started at the beginning, and I've been listening from the beginning. Okay. Uh, and I think I'm through the first season or whatever you call them. Our audio is a little rough. <laughs> yeah. any, any feedback? Yeah, the, no, don't give us feedback on the first yeah, one. Tell Jay when he needs to be better. He loves it. No. Jay <laughs> yeah, wants my feedback. <laughs> don't. Well, You've done well. Thank you for reaching out. Um, I can't uh, commend you a lot for your yeah, not only honesty, I mean, but the shame of addiction is great. The shame of sexual addiction seems a little bit greater, and the shame associated with a female sex addiction is is probably the highest. I'm trying to think in the shame meter yeah. um, and so. the judgmental yeah. meter, right? Like the wait, she does what? So right. I, um, I mean, I'm trying to rack their mind. Like I've never heard anyone break anonymity, anonymity um, outside. Okay. It's and rare. On that, you know the. Shame needs to go away, and I would hope some people would come out and say something and make it so that it's not as shameful uh, in society. Um, because the shame is so great. And if a woman goes to one of her friends, they say things like, oh, my husband's a, a porn addict and he's disgusting, and, you know, or my son's doing this awful thing, or whatever. And the other, the other females are very shaming. Yeah. And so a girl can't come out and say that she has a sex addiction, you know, and they can't go to a guy because then a guy gets turned on by it or feels inappropriate about it. So something does need to be done for for women. Well, we were doing the first thing here is talking about it and yeah. talking about it and being open and reaching out. So thank you so much. Any last message yeah. that you'd want to share? I mean, people are listening. They could identify. We know there's some. What, what are some resources you would recommend that if, Someone sitting in, I keep picking on Ohio for some reason, but, and they're, maybe the spirit's telling you something. They're now. identifying at, well, much of what you're saying. What would you suggest them doing? Um, I would suggest, first of all, being very adamant of creating a relationship with God and knowing through the spirit what you need to do next. Um, the 12 step podcasts, your podcast, plus the ones um, that the ARP program puts out. Both are extremely helpful because you can do those anywhere. And then get the courage to go to a meeting. Go to meetings, look in the scriptures, start doing a program, do whatever you can to reach out to God, to reach out to other people. You have to have other people. Even though I've, I've taken myself away from friends, I still reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to reach out to people and you've got to overcome the shame and find the courage to just move forward. And he'll give you the courage. If you're just willing to try it, He'll give you the courage to move forward. And I would say it's also tough to go because you go to the quote world, they're going to say, you're totally normal. Go have sex. Go look at porn. And, and if you're luckily you had, you found your second therapist that mm-hmm. is based in, uh, in, in, uh, the gospel. Cause, cause I think that correct me if I'm wrong, but also in Utah where you've got this strong mixed anti-Mormon message and, and these people in sheep's clothing that are, pretending like they're members still maybe for business reasons because her business probably got hurt when she left the church right 
So yep. you're getting biz- if you're getting business because you say you're Mormon, and then you actually have an ulterior motive. I mean, that's just pure evil in my mind. If yeah. You're pertaining to one thing and then saying, "Oh, go away." But, but if you go to uh, uh, have you gone to SA meetings? Because I know a lot of the guys go to SA meetings. What have you gone to? So I I didn't find an SA meeting for women. Okay. Um, I found one that I thought was an SA meeting, but it was for their spouses, and that was incredibly shaming. Okay. <laughs> I, so I didn't go back to that. Obviously, yeah. And that you know that's a wise thing there because a lot of people go to one meeting and they're like that's lame. Twelve steps of bad. You know, I went to the ARP, so the one in our stake, the men's only pornography. I actually was told to go that uh, like a year after my mission, and I went into that room and I, it was packed and it was all in one circle. It was in our high council yeah. before the tables are in. Anyways, and it was sitting in the thing, and I remember listening to those. No one had recovery, right? Okay, I could tell that. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that no one had what we, I now see people have, and. Um, they're going around a circle and it was just like they read the, from the book, don't really remember that. But when it got to the sharing, it just went in a circle and it was one depressive human being after the other of like years of not conquering this. And then old people, like guys well into their 70s. And I'm like, it, it was enough to shame me for a while straight, but like not enough to like obviously give me solutions. So when life came back, I, I went back. But I, I remember leaving that like crying, going, God, whatever you do, don't let me be. I do not want to be 70 still dealing with a problem that I had in my 20s and, and, and teen years. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'll be I'll, – that means my brain hasn't progressed. I haven't progressed. Like, I, I'm like, you know, I haven't progressed. It's not a – like, dip, like it's just progression is key, right, to everything now. I realize that. And so – and but I never went back is what I'm getting at. I didn't go back because there was no one there that said, hey, did – I did this for years. Guess what, though? Like, and yes, let me let me identify. Let me help you. I did this, this, this. Did you ever think this? Yeah, I did too. But guess what? I read this book. I did these steps. I got this guy to be my sponsor, and they point to him in the room. And they sometimes go, they don't have that resource, so I'd say go to the meeting. Go for sure. Yeah. If you're really sick and tired of being sick and tired, drive an hour. So that's what drive I meant. Yeah. Because then the rest of my life got. I, if I would have obviously, I wasn't ready yet to so like at bottom because I would have. Is this how they always are? Is there another meeting? I didn't resonate there yet. But if you're listening and you are there and you've been to these meetings we've described or your therapist like that, just because it's that way doesn't mean there's not – God doesn't have another door open for you. You've got to do your work. Well, I think one of the things that prevents a lot of addicts from, from finding recovery is this fear of what they'll be like sober. Totally. Um, and I think one thing to keep in mind is that you know, people always say, well, I don't want to be the Molly Mormon. And that was one of my reasons, too. I didn't want to be a Molly Mormon. I didn't want to be a a sheep among sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be me. Yeah. Um, and what I realized, though, is that God wanted me to be me. But he wanted me to be the real me. And not the angry, the vindictive, the mean person that I thought was so cool. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to be the happy, peaceful, loving person. And and me, uniquely me, not like everyone else. Totally. Uh, and I, and I think way to put it. a happy person. Yeah. You know? And still it's keep possible. the commandments. It's, yes, it's you can still be unique and keep the commandments. You don't have to be a robot. Like you can right. still keep the man. You can admit in my elder scorn lessons when I'm like, hey, yeah, I still struggle with X, Y, and Z. Like you can say it out loud, and that's part of being you. Like, and then when you got to strength in something, say it. So if someone else go has courage to go. Oh, dude, okay, I, I like that guy, and if, if he's overcome that, then I want to do that. Like you don't have to. You, we don't have to be robots. We don't have to pretend. 
that we're something well, we're not. It's our vulnerabilities and it's our um, imperfections that make us lovable. 100%. If we're perfect, we're not lovable. Totally. It's hard to love somebody who is perfect. Well, you were very lovable on this. Totally. You're unique and nice and all that stuff that you wanted to be. And I think our listeners can hear all hear that through there. We'll definitely pass over messages and, you know, keep doing the thing. And I definitely will connect you with some people that I think would be good if you want to do. Yeah, are you open if someone reaches out to us and says, hey, whoever that or can we get a hold of Jane? Are you okay if we pass on your email address? Like, yeah, I would love that. Okay. I really, really would love to have a sponsor. So, okay, so if you're listening to this and you've gone and you're you're willing to be a sponsor, um, reach out. And then if you're early in this in this phase and you don't have a sponsor, maybe you can reach out to Jane. Um, and so email change at gmail.com or off our website or Facebook or Instagram. And then we can kind of connect you because that's connection is how we get through the life and through recovery. Well, Jane, thank you so much. I'm going to sign off here. Jane, you're... Thank you.
misunderstand.